0: Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. The event in this show occurred in the year 1868, but what else happened that year? On the 9th of January, penal transportation from Britain to Australia ends with the arrival of the convict ship Hougamont in Western Australia after an 89-day voyage from England. In the 1880s, Hougamont was used as a storage vessel during the building of the Forth Bridge. It was used as a hospital ship in the Firth of Forth in the mid-1880s for smallpox sufferers, with numerous records in the National Records of Scotland listing it as a place of death. On the 2nd of April, there was the last public hanging of a woman in Britain. Frances Kidder, aged 25, outside Maidstone Prison, by William Corcroft, for drowning her 11-year-old stepdaughter, Louisa Kidder Staples. Around 2,000 people, including her husband, who was, by this time, living with her sister, are reported to have witnessed the execution. On the 29th of June, the Press Association was founded in London by a group of provincial newspaper proprietors. The PA provides a London-based service of news collecting and reporting from around the United Kingdom. The news agency's founders sought to produce a more accurate and reliable alternative to the monopoly service of the telegraph companies. On the 10th of December, The world's first traffic lights were installed in Parliament Square in London. But our event occurred on the 30th of April 1868, and it concerned a young family man, John Maskell, who by all accounts was regarded as a very good soldier. Well, until that day. Our story today concerns John Maskell, who was born in Epsom, in Surrey, in 1838, the son of Thomas and Harriet Maria Maskell. He was baptised on the 26th of August, 1838, in St. Martin of Tours Church in Epsom. The baptism records state that his father was a coachman, although, in the 1841 census, Thomas was recorded as being a labourer living in Woodcote, Epsom. John had two siblings, Elizabeth Mary, who was baptised in 1836, and William, who was baptised in 1844. Sadly, William only lived for 11 months and two weeks before dying. He was buried on the 21st of September 1845 in the St. Martin's churchyard. John's father, Thomas, aged 38, died just four months later and was buried on the 12th of January 1846, in the same graveyard as his son. In 1850, John's widowed mother, Harriet, married John Coldman, a gardener in Epsom. Their daughter, Harriet Anna, was born on the 26th of January, 1851. John, aged 12, and his 15 year old sister, Elizabeth, appeared on the 1851 census as living with their two month old half sister, Harriet and their mother and stepfather in World's End, Epsom. John and Elizabeth's surnames have been recorded as Coldman, not Maskell. Elizabeth Mary Maskell, John's sister, married William Leaker in Exeter, Devon, in 1859. Their son, William, was born the following year. John did not appear in the 1861 census, as he was by now in the army overseas. His mother, Harriet, was still living at World's End, Epsom, with her husband, John Coldman, and their 10-year-old daughter, Harriet. Harriet's daughter, Elizabeth, and grandson, William Leaker, were also living with them. John Maskell was considered a man of very good character, having been in the Royal East Kent Regiment, or Buffs, for many years, serving in Malta, Gibraltar, Barbados, and Ireland, before returning to Bristol, England. And when his colleagues questioned, None of them knew of any quarrel or argument between the deceased and Maskell. In fact, John was a placid family man, having married Margaret Angelina Hopper in 1864. She was the daughter of a soldier and she had been born in Malta in 1849. Their sons, John H. and Charles, were born in 1864 and 1866, respectively, in Barbados. So by all accounts, we're talking about a loving, honourable man with two sons and a beautiful wife. So what happened?
1: (laughs) Word on the Street
0: And this week we go to St Anne's Road. In St Anne's Park, a track known as the Pilgrim's Path, leads to the holy waters of St Anne's Well and the Chapel of St Anne's, which was founded by Earl de la Waure in eleven hundred and was built next to it. It became a shrine, visited by many distinguished people, praying to conceive children. One visitor was the Queen of Henry VII, Elizabeth of York, who offered two shillings and six to help her conceive a son, and 11 months later, she gave birth to Prince Arthur. Bristol sailors would also visit the chapel before setting out to sea, as St Anne was the patron saint of harbours and sailors. Local people believed it would cure scurvy and rheumatism. The remains of the chapel were destroyed during the middle of the 19th century by a landowner who wanted to discourage the public from visiting the well. After a legal battle, the lower part of St Anne's valley passed into public ownership, before the jury accepted the extraordinary testimony of a witness who claimed that the water of St Anne's well had cured a cataract in his eye. A new church of the same name was built just prior to the First World War, and in 1924, the annual St Anne's Day pilgrimage to the well was restored, when the well is blessed. The Royal East Kent Regiment, or Buffs as they were known, arrived at Horfield Barracks on Tuesday the 28th of April, 1868. They had recently been stationed in Ireland. Newspapers reported that between 8 and 9 o'clock on Thursday evening, on the 30th of April, members of the 2nd Battalion of the 3rd Buffs, stationed in the Horfield Barracks in Bristol, were suddenly alarmed to hear five distinct shots from a rifle over a short period of time, coming from the direction of the sergeant's mess. Officers and non-commissioned officers ran from their quarters to investigate. James Tribb told the court.
2: I am a Lance Corporal in Her Majesty's 2nd Battalion of the 3rd Buffs. The deceased, Robert Sinan, was a private soldier in the same regiment. About a quarter to eight o'clock on the evening of Thursday, 30th of April, my attention was called by the screaming of Mrs. Wernham to Sergeant John Maskell, whom I heard talking very loudly on the top of the landing by his quarters in the barracks. I went up three or four steps towards where he was standing. It is a winding staircase, and when I came just under him, I called him by his name and begged him to be quiet. He said, I know who you are. Your name is Tripp. If you advance up these stairs and closer to me, I will blow your brains out. And at the same time he rapped the butt of his rifle upon the stone step to let me know he had a rifle in his hand. I also heard him draw his ramrod and put it down the barrel to let me know it was loaded, exclaiming, Do you hear that? He then full cocked it. He again said if I advanced towards him he would blow my brains out and I feel certain that he was alone. I stood at the bottom and then spoke a few more words to him, trying to persuade him to hand me down the rifle, but he said, Oh no, oh no, I am not drunk. Trip, this is all over two pence, and I will be revenged." But he did not say upon whom. I then went from him and stood at the corner of the archway where I waited.
0: About 15 minutes later, Quartermaster Sergeant Woodman came through the archway. That was when the first shot was fired, striking the stone steps and doing no harm. A few minutes later, Maskell came out and walked into the barrack square and stopped. He had his rifle in his hand with the bayonet fixed and a pouch belt of ammunition slung around his shoulders. There were three or four men walking up the square. Maskell saw them, and Tripp describes what happens next.
2: I saw him deliberately present his rifle in a direction in which the men were and fire amongst them. That shot did not take effect. He walked a few paces, then stopped and loaded his rifle. Seeing a party of men running into the sergeant's mess room, as I thought to escape from him, he fired at them, but missed them also. He then turned about half round and looked towards the guard room where there were some more men. He presented and fired at them, but that took no effect.
0: Tripp watched as Maskell walked up the steps to the sergeant's mess room, still carrying his rifle. Ten minutes later, he heard another shot and saw a man fall on the steps. The alarm was given and the guards ran towards the spot, and in about ten minutes, Maskell was brought out across the square under arrest and taken to the guard room. Like me, you're probably wondering why Tripp didn't even attempt to stop Maskell firing. Well, a Captain Belfield also asked that question in court, and Tripp replied that Maskell had already threatened to blow his brains out, armed with a breech loader, which was a much faster weapon to reload than the one he had. He felt that it would have been suicide to make an attempt. He did, however, raise the alarm.
1: Word of the Week.
0: And this week, it's my honour to give you the word... Sugarcoat. Now, you probably know what this means, but do you know of the origins? Well, upon sending an urgent message to Congress, Abraham Lincoln said about Southerners, With rebellion thus sugarcoated, they've been drugging the public mind of their section for more than 30 years an official government printer found the term to be too casual and asked Lincoln to change it for the record. Lincoln refused. Private Levi Thorless was with Private Sinan, the victim at the time. This is his account of the event.
1: I heard two shots and I ran down from the guard room towards the sergeant's mess. I stood there half a minute and could see no one but the deceased, Private Sinan. It was coming from the archway. He had nothing in his hand. He said, Come along with me. Sergeant Maskell is firing shots all over the barrack square. I went with him to the steps leading to the sergeant's mess. A shot was fired from the sergeant's mess. It came from the open door and struck against the lower barracks, but did not injure anyone. Deceased said, Come along this road. He must be in a sergeant's mess. We went up the steps together as quickly as possible. My right foot slipped. I fell on the second step from the top and deceased got in advance of me. As soon as I got up, I heard the report of a rifle and saw the deceased fall forward upon his face down the steps. I saw by the light of the flash, the muzzle of a rifle was sword fixed outside the door, but I could not see who held it. The person who fired it seemed to be about two feet inside the messroom passage. I ran down the steps and met Sergeant Flawn, the sergeant of the guard. I said, Private Sinan is shot. He replied, come along, let us get through the barracks windows. And we did so for the purpose of seeing if anyone escaped at the back of the barracks. We did not observe anyone there. We could not see the mess room or passage, but we heard Sergeant Jenner's voice say, come down here, he is here. We went directly and saw Sergeant Maskell in the custody of Sergeant Jenner.
0: Another eyewitness report, this time by the commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Knight Pearson, tells a different view.
2: I was sitting in my room reading when I heard two or three shots fired. I thought nothing of them, believing that it was some farm boys firing off a small cannon or gun. Quartermaster Sergeant Woodman rushed into my room and said, for God's sake, sir, here is Sergeant Maskell firing away all his ammunition and he has nearly killed me. I went out of my quarters and met the adjutant. We saw the men pouring out into the square and I ordered them back to their quarters to get them out of danger. I went with the adjutant and others in the direction of the soldiers' quarters. We were going in the direction of Maskell's quarters when I saw a body lying upon the steps. We were in the act of raising him when Sergeant Howarth, hearing someone inside, left me with the body.
0: Leaving Colonel Pearson holding Sinan and after sending for the surgeon, Colour Sergeant John Frederick Howarth and Sergeant Jenner went into the mess room in search of the person who had fired the shots and to call for further assistance. Behind the door they found Sergeant John Maskell with a rifle in his hand and with his sword bayonet fixed. Both men went to seize him. Howarth held on to Maskell, who struggled with him causing them both to fall to the ground. But somehow Jenner managed to disarm Maskell. As others approached, Maskell was firmly restrained and removed to the locker. An inspection of Maskell's ammunition pouch revealed that he had fired seven shots. The surgeon examined the body of Sinan and found that he was quite dead. There was a bayonet wound to his forehead and to his side and a bullet wound in his back. No one actually saw Maskell fire, but it was believed that the deceased, like his comrades, alarmed at hearing the discharge of a rifle, went to seize Maskell to prevent him firing again, and was then attacked with a bayonet and afterwards shot. Private Sinan was known as an exceedingly well-conducted man, and was believed to be a friend of John Maskell. On the following Saturday morning, Sergeant John Maskell appeared before Captain Belfield at Lawford's Gate and was formally charged with the willful murder of Private Robert Sinan. Maskell was placed in the dock looking downcast and dejected. He was only there to hear sufficient evidence from one witness, Sergeant Jenner, to justify a remand. Once this was over, the prisoner was taken back to his cell, where witnesses said he immediately burst into tears. The coroner's court came back with a guilty verdict. (laughs) During the resulting murder trial, it came to light that John had been to the Bristol Post Office three miles away twice that day, in his capacity of army letter carrier. On his return from the second visit, at about 7.30 p.m., he had in his possession a letter for the adjutant, which he had had to personally pay two pence on because it was overweight. It was stated that the adjutant had refused to refund this amount to John, as the letter should have been processed through the cheaper post book, as it had been sent open-ended, like a rolled magazine. After leaving the adjutant, he returned to his apartment in a state of great excitement and quarrelled with his pregnant wife and this had resulted in him breaking up all the furniture in their room. His wife, Margaret, had appealed to the sergeant major for help, but was told that if he came down to sort things out, he would then have to confine her husband, which she did not want to happen. Having left his wife, John went to the canteen and drank beer before returning to his apartment again to collect his rifle and pouch, which reputedly contained 20 rounds of ammunition. It was shortly after this that he went on his rampage. It was claimed that John was suffering from sunstroke and, although he had been teetotal for several years, had become excited while under the influence of the alcohol he had consumed. On Monday, May 4th, Robert Siddon was buried. A rumour had started that he would be interred in the Catholic Cemetery at Arna's Vale, and huge crowds lined the streets in that area, waiting to catch a glimpse of the funeral cortege. But that proved inaccurate. Instead, the ceremony was held in Hawfield, to the tune of Dead Marching Saul. On his coffin was placed his hat, belt and bayonet. Several of the soldiers were visibly weeping as the coffin was gently lowered, or three volleys, a few bars played by the band accompanying each, were fired and the funeral rites completed. You won't be surprised to find out that on the 12th of August 1868, John Maskell appeared before Mr. Piggott in the Gloucestershire Assizes, where he was charged with willfully murdering Robert Sinnon He was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to serve 10 years in prison. If you remember, Margaret, John's wife, was pregnant during this whole ordeal and she gave birth in September to a little girl, Maria, her birth being registered in the Reading District. It's unknown when Margaret returned to her husband's hometown of Epsom but she does appear in the 1871 census as living at Prospect Cottages, East Street, Epsom. 22-year-old Margaret was recorded as the head of the family, and living with her were only the two youngest children, Charles, aged five, who was born in Barbados, and little Maria, who was aged two and born in Bristol. John, their seven-year-old son, was a pupil at the Presbytery, a boarding school in South Mims, which was run by a Catholic priest named George Banfield. His place of birth was listed as being the West Indies. On the same 1871 census, John Mascot is listed as serving his time in Old Brompton Prison, Gillingham, Kent. John's actual prison release date is unknown, but his wife Margaret did give birth to an Albert Edward Maskell in 1877 in Epsom. Sadly, though, later that year, John Jr., the 13-year-old son of John and Margaret, died in Epsom Union Workhouse and was buried on the 13th of October, 1877 in grave number E394 in the Ashley Road Cemetery, Epsom. The 1881 census shows the Maskell family... Living in Woodcote End, Epsom. John was working as a general labourer, whilst Margaret did some casual work, spice picking. Charles was a 15 year old greengrocer's boy by then. Also recorded were 12 year old Maria, a scholar, and 4 year old Albert. Margaret's 25 year old brother, George Hopper, was also there on the census night. His place of birth was given as Barbados, an occupation as invalid soldier, discharged the 2nd of April. As the verger, John would have been considered to have been a minor church official. The verge, Latin for verga, old French vergia, is a ceremonial rod which a verger carries and is used by the verger when he walks in front of the clergy during processions to ensure that the services are not disrupted during worship. As a verger, John would have worn a jabot and John's son Albert went into the military. His service papers didn't survive, but we do know that he was at U-Shot Barracks as a regular soldier with the rank of driver, serving in the 132 battery, RFA. His medal card shows that he went to France on the 7th of November, 1914. At some point he contracted a disease on active service and was returning to England. Whilst at Parkgate Auxiliary Military Hospital in Cheshire, he died. His body was transported to Epsom Cemetery, where he was buried on the 11th of April, 1911, in the same plot as his father. And the military seems to be in the family's blood, as John's grandson, Roland George, son of George, was a World War II casualty. As a gunner in the Royal Artillery, he was killed in action in Libya on the 12th of June, 1942. John's widow Margaret died aged 85 in Middlehouse, Dorking Road, Epsom. She was buried on the 25th of March 1933 in the same grave as her husband John and son Albert. They all sat down to well-spread tables in a decorated room complete with a decorated Christmas tree. The surprise visitor was Santa Claus, who arrived bearing a lot of lovely toys. And a comment was made that Mr. Maskell might have missed his vocation in life. The 1911 census for England and Wales was taken on the night of Sunday the 2nd of April in response to government concerns. The 1911 census also asked additional, more specific questions to each household about fertility in marriage and occupational date. John, then aged 72, declared himself a sacrosanct of St Martin's Church, while Margaret stated she had been married for 47 years and had given birth to five children, Four of whom were still living. The next year, 1912, the family were recorded as living at 52 Wyeth Road, Epsom, Surrey. It was around 1885 that John became the Verger and sacrosanct of St Martin's of Tours Church in Epsom. Three years later, John and Margaret's son George was born. He was baptised on the 15th of August, 1888, in St. Martin's Church. John, although taking his job seriously, was not above having fun and joined in the church seaside trip to Worthing in July 1914. In 1917, because of ill health, John retired after 32 years of being verger and sacrosan of St. Martin's Church. The church decided that as the entire congregation held him in high respect... John would be paid a weekly pension of 30 shillings. A month after he started his retirement, on Friday, the 2nd of February, 1917, John died, aged 78, in the Epsom Cottage Hospital. A funeral service for him was held on the 8th of February in St Martin's, during which the choir sang. I heard a voice from heaven. His coffin was covered in his verger's gown and had a wreath on it from the clergy, choir and congregation. After the service, John was buried in the Ashley Road Cemetery, Epsom, in grave number A447. An article in the St. Martin's Church magazine says, He will long be remembered as one who was above all things, devoted to his duty, a humble servant of God and his church, kind and
2: courteous to all.
0: John's widow, Margaret, received a collection of £50 from the St Martin's Church Congregation and continued to receive his 30 shillings a week pension.
1: Back in the Day Facts
0: Let's start off with the 5th of March 1496, when English King Henry VII grants John Cabot a commission to explore the new lands. On the 6th of March in 1836, we had the Battle of the Alamo. After 13 days of fighting, 1,500 to 3,000 Mexican soldiers overwhelmed the Texan defenders, killing around 182 to 257 Texans including William Travis, Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett. Also on the 6th of March, but in 1964, boxing legend Cassius Clay joins the Nation of Islam and changes his name to Muhammad Ali, calling his former title a slave name. On the 7th of March, 1905, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle publishes The Return of Sherlock Holmes, collection in london after public pressure to revive his famous detective on the 8th of march 1878 the first ever radio episode of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy by douglas adams is transmitted on bbc radio 4 and on the 10th of march 1975 john lennon releases the single stand by me a cover of benny king's song which was originally released in 1961 And I fear, friends, that that is the end of the show today. But first, before I go, I'd like to thank those that really brought everything to life. And this week, there's Henry Arnold and Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Sam Roberts and Joe Wilson from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Agent Scott from the Spy Hards podcast. Thank you, one and all. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko spelt spelt K-O-F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com, where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for BacktrackerUK, with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at So until next time guys, take care, and look after each other.